Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Laid to rest, a solemn exclusive look at a burial service for victims of abortion. We speak to the priests and pro-life advocates who helped bring these babies to their final resting place. Defending life on the Hill. Pro-life efforts in Congress one year after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama joins us to discuss his efforts to stop the advancement of pro-abortion policies in our nation's military. Spiritual leaders for life. We speak with Mother Mary Concepta and Sister Mari Stella, the new leaders of the Sisters of Life, how the overturn of Roe has impacted their mission. We're just a little over a week away from the one-year anniversary of the release of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. As we anticipate that anniversary and celebrate this victory, we were given a solemn reminder a few days ago of what the tragedy of abortion is. Viewer discretion is advised. In March of 2022, members of the group The Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising claimed that they discovered the bodies of 115 children who had been aborted on the back of a medical waste truck. The children were allegedly killed by abortionist Cesare Santangelo, who operates out of the Washington Surgery Clinic in Washington, D.C.'s Foggy Bottom neighborhood. We were invited to a memorial service in an undisclosed location for 110 of those children. When we arrived, this is what we saw. We now commend these infants or these unborn, preborn, to that same embrace of love in the hope that they will rejoice and be happy in the presence of Christ. A group of nine pro-lifers gathered in a peaceful glade for a sweet yet somber ceremony honoring the lives of these children assumed to have been killed by abortion. They were buried by Father Bill Kaczynski in this spot on April 1st, 2022, just days after their bodies were found and handed over to Teresa Bakovinak. Now, just over a year later, a headstone has been set atop their grave. It was snow, it was uh, sleet, it was rain, uh, and uh, but I uh, felt that the babies deserved the honor of being given a burial, and uh, um, so honored, I think, might be the word. The new headstone reads, here lie the mortal remains of 110 human babies of the over 58 million killed in utero by legalized abortion in the United States of America. It also carries the inscription of a quote by Pope St. John Paul II, which reads in part that the prevalence of abortion in society makes humanity more and more incapable of distinguishing between good and evil. Father Bill recited prayers of dedication over the tombstone and spoke with me about why he felt called to ensure these children had a proper resting place. Well, they deserve a burial, again, because they're creating our image and likeness. We just don't throw, in God's image and likeness, we just don't throw such away. Uh, as to what the church teaches regarding the souls of the unborn, uh, we don't know. Uh, but John Paul II uh, uh, always pointed us toward and even in speaking of the deceased brothers and sisters who uh, were, were killed, uh, that uh, we can trust in God's mercy that they are indeed with, with him. 
The initial discovery of these babies came as a shock to those throughout the D.C. area. They were given to Bakovanak and her colleague Lauren Handy by the truck driver tasked with transporting the babies from Curtis Bay Medical Waste Services. He handed over their remains in a large brown box. We didn't know for sure what was in the box, but we wanted to be prepared. Then Lauren um, cut open the box. We had a Catholic deacon present. Inside the box, there was a red bag, and she cut open the red bag, and inside were what looked like dozens of tiny turquoise circular plastic cups, and Lauren immediately recognized them as something called whirl packs, uh, which is where they place abortion victims after early abortions. Uh, so we knew immediately that what we did have was dead babies. So as we unpacked, each of these containers. We logged them, took photos, and set them onto the table. And as we were taking out the smaller containers, we saw in the bottom there was a, a white, clearish plastic bag. Um, and when Lauren lifted it up, there were five much larger buckets. Along with the remains of these 110 children, five others were found in the box. A group of medical experts, including former abortionists, determined that those five had been aborted much later in pregnancy. She lifted out the most beautiful baby boy. His skin was pink. He was completely intact. Uh, we regularly carry around a 22-week fetal model in our activism, and this baby was so much bigger than that. So we knew immediately we were looking at a baby probably 30 weeks or more. One of the children was still inside its unpunctured amniotic sac, meaning he or she was likely born alive and left to die. Teresa described seeing the burial ground of the younger 110 children as a moment of truth. The truth is here. The truth is buried here in this, on this mountain. These babies existed and they were killed and now they are buried. We promised the the driver of the truck who allowed us to take the box that they these babies would be buried and so we are very grateful that father bill was able to take the smaller 110 into his possession and and bury them give them the burial that we promised Bakovanak and Handy decided to turn over the bodies of the five older children to the authorities. Because they were killed so close to birth, it's possible that these children could have been killed illegally in violation of the Partial Birth Abortion Act, enacted by Congress in 2003. Pictures of the five have been presented in congressional hearings, and POW is advocating for thorough investigations to be launched to learn more about their deaths. Bikovanak says the burial of their smaller 110 counterparts is a moment that demands even more justice for babies killed by abortion. This is the pathway to a national ban. If we want to end abortion in this country, especially in these later gestational ages, we've got to show who the victims were. And in order to do that, we need to hold their killer accountable and the American people need to see what is happening. So we're asking members of Congress to do the right thing, to be brave, and to not let this moment pass. We must rescue every day to save the children from the slaughter. It is a victory that one year ago, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. It means that babies like these children will be saved, but there's still more work to be done. We know that the stories we share may come as a shock to those whose lives have been impacted by abortion. We also know that the pure humanity of these children can change people's hearts. 
A study conducted last year by the Logier Institute showed that 75% of women who see their baby via ultrasound choose life. That's why it's vital to think of defeating abortion not just as a policy issue, but a battle for the lives of these precious souls. With that, we turn to Capitol Hill, where a battle is playing out over the armed services and abortion. Service members can currently receive up to three weeks of paid leave for travel related to abortion. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama is taking bold action against this policy by putting military nominations on hold. The Senate Armed Forces Committee, on which Senator Tuberville sits, considers around 50,000 military nominations a year. Senators can place a hold on these nominations, meaning they cannot be fast-tracked for approval. Senator Tuberville has blocked more than 200 nominations, saying, quote, I'm a man of my word. I'm standing up for the unborn. The move has sparked controversy with Pentagon and Democratic leaders claiming the holdup could hurt national security. Even Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he opposes the move. Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us now to discuss. Senator Tuberville, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. We spoke with you some months ago when you first announced that you would stall these nominations and you've, you've really held your ground. What do you predict will happen next here? Well, thanks, Prudence, for having me on. Uh, it's been four months. Uh, so we're four months into the hold. And just to, to give your audience uh, uh, an idea of what this is, basically, the only thing you have is power when you're in a minority, as we are in, in the Senate as Republicans, you can put a hold on any nominee. Now, they've got 200, I think up to 250 generals and admirals that I have a hold on. Now, they can do them one at a time. I mean, it's not like they can't promote these people, but they want to do it all at one time. And I'm against that because they're legislating and doing uh, laws from the Pentagon and the White House. Uh, we do not live in a dictatorship. Last time I looked <laughs> and I ran uh, to be a senator to be able to help pass laws, vote against bad laws, and if they want to try to pass this, send it over and we'll, we'll look at it. But they're trying to fast track this. I'm not going to allow it. Uh, they thought I would bend and break at the end, but I'm not. Uh, I'm going to hold them all the way to the end. They're going to have to do it the right way uh, or change the policy. Right, right. And what's your reaction to Minority Leader McConnell's opposition to this plan? It sounds like he's wanting you to throw in the towel, but I'm curious, are other Republicans standing with you on this? Yeah, we've got a we've, we've got a good number of the Republicans that continue to come our side. They're starting to understand really what's going on. Uh, there's a lot of factors about this. Number one, uh, it's about standing up for pro-life, for the unborn. Number two, it's about taxpayers uh, spending money on these abortions, which is against the law. Right. And, and the third is just not letting them dictate law, whether it's this or whether it's something else. Uh, if we allow them to do this, Prudence, uh, what's going to happen next week? They're going to come out and say, okay, we're going to raise the national taxes for everybody 5%. Well, wait a minute. You can't do that. Well, there's no difference in doing that than changing a, a policy in the uh, Department of Defense. So I'm standing beside uh, what I believe in. Uh, Senator McConnell's got his opinion. He doesn't believe in what I'm doing is the right thing. But again, uh, I represent the people of Alabama. I represent the people of this country. And I represent uh, the unborn. And so we're going to stick with this and 
and make them sit down with us and hopefully we get this policy changed back the way it was. Yeah, that's admirable. And Senator Tuberville, I wanted to get your reaction as well to reports that the White House may halt plans to move U.S. Space Command to Alabama because it's a pro-life state and, and it has pro-life laws. You recently said that it's moves like this that, quote, make people hate Washington, D.C. Can, can you explain? Well, exactly. Uh, putting politics into decisions that they're making instead of going by what the rules and regulations say. Uh, in Alabama, for the last, what, three years, they've been doing a, a process of 60 locations uh, the last year of Donald Trump's uh, term, where he started Space Command and Space Force. Uh, he awarded, along with the Secretary of Air Force, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, the Space Command. It's been provisionally in, in Colorado. Well, since Joe Biden's taken over, he's made it political, and uh, he's sort of changing the rules as it goes. We passed every review. We've been number one in every category. Uh, they talk about, uh, you know, the readiness and recruiting in the military. The worst thing they can do is start changing the rules in midstream. But this is not going to have anything to do with Space Command, the holes I have on admirals and generals. Uh, they might try to say it's that, but they can't. They can't do that because that wasn't in the regulations. If they want to start changing bases uh, based on red states and pro-life states, we're going to have to move a lot of military bases in the next few years if these these clowns stay in office. Hmm. And Senator Tuberville, switching gears before I let you go, we're nearing the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe versus Wade. So I'm curious, what do you make of this moment for our movement and for our nation? Well, it was the right decision by the Supreme Court uh, yesterday, and it was the right decision last year at this time. Uh, all the, the these leftists uh, that believe in in uh, pro-choice, uh, they they hit the wall, they hit the ceiling, uh, and that's what this is all about. All they did was send it back to the states and said, "Listen, let's take the politics out of this and let the people vote on it state by state." That was the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do today. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, ever since then, though, uh, we have been fighting the White House because anything that they control in the federal government, they've been trying to put abort new abortion rules, abortion at any time, paying for abortions. Uh, the VA is doing that. The Department of Defense is doing that as, as we're fighting right now. And they're doing it because they can't control uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, they'd like to, but they can't control them. And so we're going to fight uh, for this situation, and we're going to fight for the unborn, and we're going to try, try to fight for the right and the rights of laws in this country and fight for the citizens. And, you know, this administration has done gone off the deep end when it comes to identity politics and all these woke policies, uh, these uh, pro-choice policies. Uh, it really makes them mad when they can't control it. But Constitution says the American people control this country, not the politicians in the White House and the Department of Defense. Right. Well said. Well, Senator Tommy Tuberville, thank you so much for all that you're doing to stand up for the unborn. Keep fighting the good fight. We're praying for you. Thank you, Prudence. Here are some more headlines from this week. A British woman is facing 28 months in prison for taking chemical abortion pills too late in her pregnancy, according to UK law. In May of 2020, Carla Foster, a 44-year-old mother of three, received a prescription for abortion pills after an online appointment with a nurse who concluded she was only seven weeks along. Foster took the pills and two days later delivered her stillborn baby girl. She was between 32 and 34 weeks pregnant. 
In the United Kingdom, chemical abortions are only legal up to 10 weeks gestation, and it's not required that women receive the pills from a doctor in person. New York Attorney General Letizia James filed a lawsuit against the pro-life group Red Rose Rescue and individual pro-life activists for allegedly trespassing at abortion facilities. The lawsuit seeks to prevent rescuers from coming within 30 feet of any building where abortions take place. Red Rose Rescuers seek to save children by entering these facilities and handing out red roses to pregnant mothers. Attorney General James cites the FACE Act and the New York State Clinic Access Act she says these laws make it illegal to obstruct access to abortion. And finally, the latest Pride Month antics. This week, our nation's capital city hosted a huge festival for people with same-sex attraction and those who claim to be transgender. A parade took place in downtown D.C., and President Biden's White House hosted its own festivities, featuring several topless attendees. And that's not where it ends. DC Pride hosted a drag queen story hour for children aged three to eight. A man dressed as a caricature of a woman read books about gender ideology to the young children. These story hours are happening across the US. Coming up, we take a look at how candidates running in 2023 and 2024 have made the grave moral issue of abortion painfully political. Plus, spiritual mothers of the pro-life movement, we speak to the newly elected Superior General and Vicar General of the Sisters of Life on promoting a culture of life in post-Roe America. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. Believe it or not, election season is right around the corner. While the race for president is still about 18 months away, there are local and state-level elections happening in just a few months. So what should pro-life voters be looking out for? Let's take a look at One Hopeful's campaign. Republican State Senator Siobhan Dunavant is running for re-election in the Commonwealth of Virginia. She's a doctor and claims to be pro-life, but some are saying her recent campaign presents a, quote, nuanced stance on saving babies. Take a look. Abortion should remain legal up to 15 weeks. As a mother, I will fight for women who choose to have their babies. She first says abortion should be legal, but then flips and says she will help moms choose life. The ad lays out her position that she cannot accept late-term abortion. And while that is noble, she neglects to point out that most abortions happen in the first trimester. For example, in 2019, the CDC reported that 93% of abortions happened before the 13th week of pregnancy. And according to her recent ad, Senator Dunavant is okay with that. Dunavant has a pro-life voting record, having repeatedly voted against state taxpayer funding of abortion, but she has also doubled down on there being a line where abortions are okay. When she once was asked if she would support a 12-week limit on abortion, she responded, I'd rather do 22 weeks. And when asked if she would support a fetal personhood bill, she said, I haven't had to take a vote on that. Maybe she hasn't had to take a vote on that yet. But could pro-life Virginians count on her to defend the unborn in all circumstances if she were to be reelected? That remains unclear. We've been addressing an important fact on our program. Abortion is a moral tragedy that has been made painfully political. And because it's been made political, we Catholics, who are obligated to defend life from conception until natural death, must work to protect vulnerable children in our laws. 
With elections coming up, we must be aware that there are lots of candidates out there who are playing political games with the lives of unborn children. We've seen this repeatedly from the Republican presidential hopefuls who refuse to be clear about their stances on protecting human life. In some states right now, a child who is 20 weeks old might be spared from abortion, while one who is 10 weeks old could lose their life. Our country can do better than this, and it's up to us to hold our leaders accountable. It's up to us to help them see how we view abortion. It's the greatest human rights issue of our time. The Sisters of Life, a religious order whose members serve pregnant women and their babies, just elected a new superior general. Their motto, to lay down our lives that others may live. Like other religious sisters, they take the traditional vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, but they also take another vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of life. In their more than 30 years, the Sisters of Life have dedicated themselves to helping women who are vulnerable to abortion and have set the standard in providing them resources. Their unique work within our movement has led many women to find healing and mercy and to be able to love and care for their children in ways that without the Sisters may not have been possible. Mother Mary Concepta is the new Superior General of the Sisters of Life, and Sister Mari Stella serves as Vicar General. They join us now. Mother and Sister, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank, Thank you for having us. Mother Concepta, speak with me about what it means to you to be stepping into this new role to lead your sisters. Well, I'm still processing everything, but um, I, I see it really as, honestly stepping in after our mother general of 30 years um, and really continuing her legacy of um, of loving spiritual maternity um, for, our, for our sisters, for our community and for overflowing into those we serve. So really it's, um, yeah, an affirmation of my own um, gift of spiritual maternity that the Lord has given me and to see that overflow and multiply in the lives of others. Yes, amen. And and tell me about the path that led you to join the Sisters of Life, Mother Concepta. I know that when you were a young girl, you looked to your own mother as an example who raised eight children. Mm -hmm. Yes, my, my own mother was my first witness, really, to teach me about the sanctity of human life. Um, she herself was devoted in many ways to the, to the pro-life movement and to upholding the human person. Um, but in particular, even in... Um, as a, as a high school student, um, my mom would would let the guidance counselor know at school that she was willing to support any young woman who might be pregnant and considering dropping out of school. So my own mother made it possible through her own direct support of women um, to help them to finish their high school diplomas. And even we babysitted a lot of babies when I was growing up at my house. Um, so that was really the first witness to me that if a yeah, that the choice for life is one that's a huge challenge for someone who is not married and unsupported. But um, if that woman has that support, um, she can really fly and and deserves to finish her own education as well so that she can support that child. So my mom was always devoted um, throughout the timeline of this young woman. So that was kind of the first maybe um, witness that I had. But um, I guess the way in which I came in touch with the Sisters of Life is through um, a friend of mine in college that became pregnant um, unexpectedly mm. and just being able to journey with her um, and her own experience being supported by the Sisters of Life through her own discernment of placing her child for adoption mm. um, and watching the transformation that happened in her 
um, and in the the ultimate gift that she made, um, an ultimate sacrifice too, in realizing the importance of placing this child in the context of the sacramental marriage. Um, so in being able to, yeah, to accompany her in a way, and by the witness of her own life and her own journey, coming to understand even more how how valuable and important the the unborn child is for the world. Um, so I think through that experience anyway, I, I met the sisters and she never let me um, forget how how life-changing their presence was to her. And that really led on a journey to um, pursuing religious life and being open to religious life and yeah, and realizing that the charism of our community was in my heart and, and resonated deeply in my heart. And, and yet from there, it's all God's love and his divine initiative in our lives and leading us and just being open to saying yes to that. Yes, and, and it's such a unique community that you both are a part of. Sister Marie Stella, will you share with me a bit about the ways in which you and your sisters help moms choose life? Any recent successes that you could share about or particular moments where you've really been able to, you know, touch someone's li life and, and transform it? Yeah, well, as Sisters of Life, we believe that every person is sacred, unique, and unrepeatable, and infinitely loved by God. We know going through this life, it's easy to forget that. But we know that when people are loved for who they are, not for what they can do, produce, or achieve, they thrive and live in the fullness of life. So every person we encounter, especially every pregnant woman we encounter, we want her to know and discover her own dignity. And once she experiences that she's loved, she can do anything. Mm. And when she discovers the gift of her own life, she often desires to choose life for her own child. And so we have so many success stories, wonderful stories. Just recently, uh, we have a convent in New York City where pregnant women live with us. And we one mom just gave birth to a set of twins. And this mom is an incredible and brave and heroic. She made heroic choices. She was receiving a lot of pressure from her family, her friends, or the father of the babies to, to have an abortion. But she stepped in faith and chose life. And now these two little babies are thriving. So our, our convent is bursting with new life. <laughs> yes, that's wonderful. And Mother Conchepta, how has the overturning of Roe versus Wade impacted your lives as the Sisters of Life? Have you experienced a higher demand for your resources? How has it sort of impacted your mission and the work that you're doing every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I feel like the first lesson that it teaches the world really is that um, the power of prayer um, and that yeah, the enemy of the, the culture of death is really a, a, a spiritual enemy. Mm. Um, and that um, through, you know, our congregation was founded particularly to pray and fast on behalf of human life. So we feel like that's an affirmation to all the people that have been out there praying and sacrificing um, for, for the sanctity of life, that it would be upheld, that, I mean, we could have never imagined that this would have ever happened. I mean, we've all been praying for it, but, but it, it's almost unbelievable to us that it has happened and now we're coming up on the one year anniversary. So, right. um, so yeah, it, it has, I mean, in our own ministry, particularly, we've received many an influx and many more calls um, from women who have suffered abortion because just seeing it in the news is bringing up their own experience and, and allowing them to help find help and reconciliation. So we have seen more women coming to us because of it, um, looking for healing and restoration. Um, so that's one way in which it's impacted us. But of course, we at all times are kind of looking at our own missions and how we can best serve um, the needs of, of, of the world in upholding the dignity of human life. 
So, um, so yeah, more to come, I'm sure, in the future. Yes, yes, very exciting, exciting time for our movement. Uh, sister and mother, both of your vocation stories, shifting gears a bit, were influenced by the Blessed Mother. Um, I'd like to hear both from both of you briefly about what we can learn from her as we keep working to make abortion unthinkable in our society. Mother, I'll start with you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I think the Blessed Mother is definitely, you know, my own mother, um, this friend of mine who was a mother in college who inspired me, and then the Blessed Mother. Um, she's obviously the, the prime model to me for her life and, and her spiritual maternity, you know, expands over the whole universe, over the whole world. She's for every human person. So I don't know, her message really is so simple in her maternal love for every soul. You know, I think particularly of Our Lady of Guadalupe, like her, mm. her message to, to everyone is simply, I'm here to receive you, to see, hear all your struggles, your problems, your, um, your sorrows, your joys, and to just be, to listen and to just cover all those places in your heart with love. And I think honestly, the, yeah, what, what is so impactful even in our own service as Sisters of Life is that, that um, communication and overflow of love in our hearts that, that Christ has placed there and through which we are icons of the Blessed Virgin Mary and those we uphold and serve and allowing our, the love of our spiritual maternity to heal, heal their wounds and bring them to greater healing and to, to know their own goodness. Um, so, so yeah, the Blessed Mother is so simple mm -hmm. and beautiful in her example to us. And yeah, we are privileged and honored to be a little sliver, hopefully, of her spiritual maternity in the world. Yes, yes, she's such a source of peace. And Sister Mary Stella, anything to add? Well, I would just say that, um, in addition to what Mother has already shared, that you know, I think it's been wisely said that Our Lady didn't conquer with a sword in her hand, but with a sword through her heart. Mm -hmm. And so she teaches us what it means to be faithful at the foot of the cross, to be faithful in the face of suffering, and to bear Christ to the world. So she teaches us to love and to suffer and to look to Christ continuously. Yes, and to bear sufferings patiently. Sister, mother, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on both of your new roles and, and thank you for all the work that you do to, to save mothers and babies. God bless you. We'll be praying for you as you head into this, this new chapter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you too. Of course. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. Or send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.